Welcome to another post-election episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, November 23rd. It's Thanksgiving week. It's one unlike any of us have had before. It comes three weeks after an election like never before. And the president still hasn't conceded his clear loss. More than a half dozen house races still haven't been called. And Georgia residents who just want to watch some Hallmark movies will be inundated for the next month and a half with political ads for not one, but two January Senate races that will decide the majority. So today we'll scan the landscape and then check out an ad currently on the air in where else but the center of the political universe, Georgia. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first is Jerose Jim. Jerose Jim, my number of the week is 92. There will be at least 92 senators in the 117th Congress convening in January who will belong to the same political party as the presidential nominee who carried their states in the most recent election. That figure could rise even higher to 94 senators if Democrats John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock are elected to the Senate on January the 5th in Georgia, which Joe Biden narrowly carried. Regardless of what happens in Georgia, the number will be an all-time high, topping the previous high watermark of 89 senators in the current 116th Congress, who are either Republicans from states Trump won in 2016 or Democrats from states Trump lost in 2016. At the moment, the only Republican senators in 2021 from states Joe Biden carried will be Susan Collins of Maine, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Collins was just reelected on November the 3rd, and she'll be the only Republican senator from a state that voted Democratic for president in 2016 and 2020. Toomey is not seeking reelection in 2022, while Johnson said in 2016 that he would not seek a third term in 2022 but he has since backed off that pledge and is weighing whether to run. We'll know after January the 5th if Georgia Republican Senators David Perdue and Kelly Leffler join this list. The only Democratic Senators in 2021 from states Trump won will be Joe Manchin of West Virginia, John Tester of Montana, and Sherrod Brown of Ohio. All are up for re-election in 2024. So, 92, that's your Jero's Gem of the Week. All right, up next, where things stand here in Turkey Week. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. The presidential race appears to have all but moved on from the litigation phase of President Trump's post-election strategy and is now centered almost completely on state certification watch. Michigan and Pennsylvania in particular are of high interest. It's the never-ending election. But what's clear is we will have some slender majorities in both the House and Senate. Where are we on House race results, Greg? Yeah, so the AP current count as we speak today, November the 23rd, has it at 222 Democratic and 205 Republican. However, there are some races there of those eight that are outstanding that you can give to the Republicans. Uh, They haven't been called yet, but the Democratic challengers have conceded. New New York's 2nd District, this is Pete King's open seat. Uh, New York's 11th District, where Democratic Congressman Max Rose has conceded and New York's 24th district, where Democrat Dana Balter has conceded to Republican incumbent John Katko. And then in New York's first district, the AP hasn't called that, but Lee Zeldin, the Republican incumbent, has a very big lead 
uh, over the Democratic challenger Nancy Goroff there with uh, a lot of mail-in ballots to be counted. But I think Zeldin's going to win that one with lots to spare. So you have it at 222 Democratic and 209 Republican when you have basically four districts uh, that are really too close to call at this moment. California's 21st, California's 25th, Iowa's 2nd, and New York's 22nd. Uh, in California's 21st, Kyle, David Valadeo, the former congressman, a Republican, is up by about 1,700 votes and one percentage point over Democratic Congressman T.J. Cox. I think Valadeo is going to win that. In California's 25th district, another rematch race, Republican Congressman Mike Garcia is up by about 400 votes over Democrat Christy Smith. So you have to give the edge to Garcia there. Then in Iowa's second district, even closer, Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks is up by just 38 votes at last count over Democrat Rita Hart. That's in recount right now. And then that fourth race, New York's 22nd district Democratic incumbent, Anthony Brindisi, is down a little bit to Republican challenger Claudia Tenney. She was a former congresswoman. And if the Republicans win all four of those districts, Kyle, which is very plausible, you could have a Congress, a House in the 117th Congress in January that is just 222 Democrats and 213 Republicans. All right. Can we pause for a second? Because what is going on with the delays in New York and California? Like, I have to say, I've read a few stories on New York specifically, and none of them actually answered that question. There's obviously, you know, an inability to count an onslaught of mail-in votes, but it's still curious given that, you know, every other state was dealing with this same issue. Yeah, it really varies state, state by state. I mean, some states are very well equipped at uh, they have the infrastructure to count the votes early, and they have state laws that kind of lay out how those votes are counted. I think you know Florida is a model there. I mean, they have a lot of votes that are cast. It's a very populous state. They have a lot of votes that are cast early, and they, they're allowed to tally them early. Um, New York does not. And New York is pretty infamous for its opaque you know, vote counting and reporting. And, and the state election site actually still has Claudia Tenney up over Anthony Brindisi by I think uh, tens of thousands of votes doesn't even account for the ongoing counting of the many mail-in ballots there in New York. But folks like the Cook, Cook Political Reports, Dave Wasserman and some New York political reporters who've been tracking the vote county by county have tenny up by a couple hundred votes there. Uh, the campaigns were in court today uh, battling over the counting of ballots there. And given the straight ticket voting that's happened elsewhere in the nation, it would be something if Brindisi hung on. Uh, this is a district that Trump won by more than 15 points in 2016. I haven't calculated the presidential vote by district there but for 2020, but Trump clearly carried it again easily. Brindisi won some ticket splitters, but perhaps not enough to hold on. California, yeah, they always have a long tradition. They've had a long tradition of a, a very drawn out uh, ballot counting process. You can follow it more closely on their state election site much easier than you can in New York. But yes, Kyle, uh, those California New York races always seem to take up the rear when we're trying to figure out uh, the remaining of the 435 districts. That's right. And you, you mentioned David Valadeo, former congressman. This is not his first rodeo. He was up for, I think, about three weeks uh, after the 2018 election uh, before uh, falling behind um, two years ago. Um, all right. So Democrats may have no more than 222 votes. Uh, that could make for some interesting votes for Nancy Pelosi. She's got a vocal progressive uh, and moderate wing of her party. And that doesn't give her much wiggle room to get them all in line behind uh, Biden's agenda. Yeah, so Democrats presently control 233 seats. So that would be a net loss of 11 seats if the Democrats do go down to 222. Yes, Democrats held their majority and they were coming off a big 40 seat gain in 2018. But that's a, 
disappointing showing in 2020 by a party that set expectations to have an expanded majority rather than a reduced one. And as you mentioned, makes it harder for Speaker Pelosi and Democratic leaders to get legislation through their own chamber, holding the moderates and the progressives together. And this very small Democratic majority, I think, means we have to keep a close watch on the Speaker's election held on the House floor the first week of January. Pelosi doesn't necessarily need 218 votes to win, but a majority of those voting by surname. So people who don't show or who vote present mean Pelosi can win with fewer than 218 votes. But still, there are about 10, I think, people who voted against Pelosi in the 2019 Speaker's election who are returning to the Congress uh, that Pelosi may need to flip some of them, like Alyssa Slotkin. I can't, well, I can't imagine Alyssa Slotkin or Abigail Spanberger, for example, uh, voting for uh, Pelosi. Uh, I think she'll have to find uh, flippable targets elsewhere, Kyle. Yeah, and I don't think Kevin McCarthy is going to lose uh, many votes on his side. It seems like uh, the GOP conference is pretty firmly behind him. So that puts more pressure on her uh, to sew up every last Democratic vote. All right, well, it's going to be particularly tough uh, on Pelosi since everything they pass will need some Republican support in the Senate. And last week, we saw a glimpse of what a tight vote might look like in that chamber, uh, which will have an even slimmer majority, regardless of who wins in Georgia. Uh, a couple senators were quarantining. We saw Vice President-elect Kamala Harris race down to Capitol Hill from Delaware, uh, and a couple Republicans sided with Democrats to oppose Trump's nominee to the Federal Reserve Board, Judy Shelton. Yeah, that was an interesting vote, Kyle. It, went, it failed on a, a procedural vote, 47 to 50, and you had... Um... Uh, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins voting with the Democrats to basically block uh, block her nomination, prevent it from going to a full vote. You mentioned the two. You had a couple of Republican senators who were in quarantine, uh, Chuck Grassley and Rick Scott, who have since uh, tested positive uh, for the virus. Um, Lamar Alexander, a third Republican who opposes Shelton, was out of town. He would have voted against her. But um, if you had all senators present and voting, it would have been a 50-50 vote, and Mike Pence could have broken the tie and advanced the nomination of Shelton to a final confirmation vote. But here's the thing. As soon as next week, Mark Kelly, an Arizona Democrat who won a special election on November the 3rd, he'll be sworn in replacing Republican incumbent Martha McSally, and that's going to narrow the Republican advantage in the post-election lame duck session of Congress from 53-47 Republican to 52-48 Republican. That's going to make um, any kind of cleanup work McConnell wants to do uh, before the change in administration, it's going to make that cleanup work all the more difficult uh, with that uh, one with, with one fewer Republican vote. That's right. And uh, Greg, you've got a story out on that today. So I would uh, uh, send our listeners uh, to about.bgov.com to read more about that. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. Uh, up next, we're heading to Georgia. I'm John Ossoff, and I approve this message. Weeks before the stock market crashed, the Senate received a classified briefing on COVID-19. That same day, David Perdue bought medical equipment stock. Then he bought vaccine shares, dumped casino stock, millions in stock trades, while the rest of us were in the dark. At the same time, David Perdue told us the risk was low and would have little impact on our economy. David Perdue lied to us while he lined his own pockets. That was an ad from John Ossoff, one of two Democrats running for a Senate seat in Georgia. Greg, what stood out to you in this coronavirus-centered ad? Yeah, this is a continuation of the attacks we saw from Ossoff before the November 3rd election, that Purdue was more interested in enriching himself than in providing leadership to combat the pandemic. Ossoff had some sharp criticisms of Purdue on this score 
during their debate before the election. Purdue has declined to debate during the runoff. Ossoff's other ads, interestingly, show him saying he would work with incoming President Joe Biden on the pandemic, and Biden narrowly carried Georgia. But the big question is, I think, which party will get more of their base out for a pair of runoffs on January the 5th? About 5 million people voted in the Georgia election earlier this month, but runoffs generally draw a lower voter turnout. Is there election fatigue? People like us who follow elections for a living know the high stakes of these Georgia elections, but I wonder how many everyday Georgian, Georgians will be motivated uh, by that as they go about their busy lives and celebrate the December holidays and the new year. Good question. All right, well, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review last week's question and answer. I noted that Kamala Harris will resign from the Senate before January 20th to become vice president, and California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom will appoint someone to replace her. My question was, who was the last California U.S. Senator appointed to that chamber? And on a Bloomberg government Twitter poll, I provided the four choices of John Seymour, Barbara Boxer, Dianne Feinstein, and Pete Wilson. Kyle, what do you think the answer is? I know it's either Boxer or Feinstein, and so I'm going to go with Boxer. Actually, it's neither one of them. Uh, Boxer and Feinstein oh. were both elected to the Senate. They neither were appointed. The last Californian who came to the Senate by way of appointment was John Seymour, a Republican who was appointed by his Senate predecessor, Pete Wilson, who was elected governor in 1990 and got to appoint his successor. Seymour was defeated for election in a 1992 special election by Democrat Dianne Feinstein, who continues to serve. Seymour is the most re recent Republican to represent California in the Senate. After voting Republican for president in 1988, California has voted Democratic for president in eight consecutive elections, including for Joe Biden, by more than 29 percentage points. Democrat Barbara Boxer was elected to a six-year term in 1992, re-elected three times, and then retired after the 2016 election and was succeeded by Kamala Harris. So John Seymour is your correct answer. And now for this week's question, let's keep it on Georgia. When was the last year Georgia had two Democratic U.S. Senators? And because I'm such a nice guy, I'm going to give you four choices. 1972, 1982, 1992, and 2002. You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. I'll give the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of Down Ballot Counts. That's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Well, it's a light week because of the Thanksgiving holiday, but I'm continuing to monitor those uncalled house races we spoke about in the main segment. Next week, look for Arizona Democrat Mark Kelly to be sworn into the Senate after his special election victory earlier this month over Republican Martha McSally. As we mentioned, his seating will narrow the Republican Senate majority to 52 to 48. On Tuesday, December the 1st, a special election in Georgia's 5th District will determine who will serve the remaining month of the unexpired term of the late Democrat John Lewis. So you get to be a member of Congress for a month there. And December the 3rd is the deadline to file post-election campaign finance reports that will disclose contributions and spending by campaigns and outside groups in those frenetic final weeks of the November 3rd election, Kyle. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. 
Down Ballot Counts was produced by David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. The election's over, so we won't be recording as frequently, but we'll be back soon to talk Georgia with a BGov reporter who will be on the ground. We'll talk to you then. We chanted, we work, we work, and then we hit a gong. We'll take you inside the company with interviews from people who helped build WeWork and exclusive tapes of internal meetings. None of us want to look back and say, I could have done more. This could have been bigger. This could have been better. That's not acceptable. You do not get a chance like this again. None of us do. This is a new podcast from Bloomberg Technology called Foundering. 